Good morning, Calvary Church. It is good to see you today. God keeps his promises. That's what we're talking about today as we continue in this book of Numbers. God keeps his promises, but in some crazy ways. As we've been going through this book of Numbers, it's been, uh, there's been a lot of sort of crazy wild things that have happened in these stories. And this one is just more of the same goodness. All right? So get excited. Turn in your Bibles to Numbers 22 to 24. I'm going to tell this story. I'm going to read some of it, tell some of it, because it's kind of it's a super long story, but it's all one big thing. And I'm excited for you to be able to uh, get to know this story if you haven't, or if you've heard some bits and pieces of this, to get to know the true heart of this story that takes place in this passage. But if you go to Israel and you stand on the shores of the Dead Sea and you look out across, you see to the other side there's these desolate mountains. And those are called the mountains of Moab. And as you get a little bit further in, uh, into those mountains, you'll, you'll be in the middle of this desert wasteland that looks like this. It's just completely impossible to live or survive down on these plains of Moab. But that is where we find the people of Israel as this story begins. They've been making their way north, making their way up from the south, and they're going to enter eventually the promised land from the east side of the Jordan River and come across. But let's read the beginnings of this. Numbers 22, verses 1 through 4. We'll have some visual aids as I tell this story because there's some weird names and some weird people going on here. And I want to help you understand this. 22.1. Then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River across from Jericho. Balak, son of Zippor, the Moabite king, had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. The king of Moab said to the elders of Midian, This mob will devour everything in sight, like an ox devours grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam son of Beor. And he calls this guy Balaam to ask him to curse the people of Israel. If you see in verse 6, he even knows that, he says, I know that blessings fall on any people you bless and curses fall on any people you curse. So Balak, the king of Moab, wants to hire Balaam, this guy that lives up in ancient Mesopotamia near the Euphrates River, almost 400 miles away from the plains of Moab. And this guy, Balaam, was most likely uh, what was called a Baru. A Baru was a sort of sorcerer priest, a diviner that was... Um, part of worshiping many, many, many gods and serving them and being part of kind of divining what do the gods say for the rulers of that time. You see these sorts of people in different ancient cultures. But this guy does know about Yahweh God, but he serves many gods, most likely, from what we know about these people. So Balak, the king of Moab, sends his messengers up to pay, to offer money to Balaam to curse. So they arrive and Balaam says, 
okay, well, I have to ask God if this is all right. So he goes and he asks God and in whatever way that, that looked like for him. And God says, no, you may not curse my people. My people are blessed. So Balaam tells them no. They go back down on this journey down to Balak, the king of Moab. And he says, all right, no, no, no. I, I got to have him curse these people, right? So offer him more money, send more people. And they go up and they talk to Balaam again. And they say, okay, all right, we got you more money. Will you please now curse them? And he's like, well, God already said no, but I'll tell you what, I'll ask him again. This is like one of the flaws here for Balaam in his story. Like God's already told him, but he still goes back again to ask God here. But at least he asks, right? So he goes, he asks God, and God says, no, like these, these are my people. I want to bless them, not curse them. But I'll tell you what, you can go with them, but you can only do what I say to do. You can only say what I say to say, all right? So he then finally gets ready to go down. And he gets on his donkey to go. Now, I want to read a couple bits here because this is where the story gets crazy. And I want you to believe me that this is actually in the Bible. So 22, verse 21. He gets on it, says he gets on his donkey and starts off. Verse 22. But God was angry that Balaam was going. Because this still isn't what God wants. He's letting it happen, but it's not necessarily what he wants to happen. So then it Back into the verse 22, he says, So he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey, get that, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey bolted off the road into a field. But Balaam beat it and turned it back into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. People are starting to get mad, right? People are starting to get mad. Um, as you should. Verse 26. Then the angel of the Lord moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. And in a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. Okay? <laughs> the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. I told you it was crazy ways. <laughs> And it says, here's what the donkey says. What have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times? It asked Balaam. Like God giving an animal the ability to speak, first of all, and it's not like some wild message from God, like I give you the truth from the Lord. No, it's just like, bro, what are you doing? Why are you beating me? And then, and then Balaam, he's so filled with pride, his response, I mean, what do you think his response should be right here? What? My donkey's talking. You can talk. I love you, donkey. Let's hang out. You know, I don't know. It's the first Shrek and, talk and donkey story right here. This is where it came from. But he doesn't say that at all. He's so filled with pride. He says, what? He says you've made me look like a fool. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. Balaam is angry, okay? This guy's got some serious anger issues, and he's not very PETA-friendly. And then the donkey says, 
but I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. <laughs> that's the whole conversation, you guys. So this donkey has the ability to speak, but that's the entire conversation. He's just like, I, I'm your donkey. Like, I haven't done anything wrong. And then, verse 31, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Now here's where you're going to see God is on the side of you animal lovers, okay? Why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded? Look, I've come to block your way because you're stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. All right, so God, oh, applause from the crowd. <laughs> Sorry, that's hilarious. <laughs> so then Balaam is like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He confesses and he says, I'll go back if that's what you want. But then the angel of the Lord says, no, 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 it's fine. Just go, but you can only speak what I tell you to speak. So Balaam continues on his way and then he finally arrives to Balak, the king of Moab. And they're up in the hills and they're overlooking the people of Israel. And Balak asks him to curse them. And so then Balaam says, all right, well, I told you, I, all I can do is do what God tells me to do. All I can say is what God tells me to say. So he makes a sacrifice. Seven altars, seven sacrifices to God. This is worship by this pagan sorcerer priest. This is worship of Yahweh God. And then God meets with him and speaks to him. And tells him, no, don't curse them. You can only bless them. So he comes out and he speaks blessing over the people of Israel. But the king is mad. He's like, no, I, I'm trying to pay you to do cursing, not blessing. All right, come over here. And he takes him to like another spot. And they look down over the people of Israel. And he says, all right, curse, curse these ones. Okay, well, I'll ask. Balaam says, all right, I'll ask. So he does the same thing again. Seven altars, seven sacrifices to God. And God meets with him again and says, no, only speak blessing over my people. And so he does. And he speaks this blessing. And the king's mad again. And he's like, okay, 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 come over here, come over here. And he takes him to another spot. And he's like, how about just this little portion of them? Just curse these guys over here. Like, we're just going to curse you guys on this edge of the crowd, all right? And then, and, then, and then this time, Balaam doesn't even need to ask. It's like, by now, finally, it says. By now, finally. And it's the spirit of the Lord fills Balaam. The spirit of the Lord fills him. And he speaks this beautiful blessing over them. And he speaks a prophecy over them about their future victories, a future king, and a future Messiah. That is the story of God keeping his promises to the people of Israel in some super wild and crazy ways. But the heart of this story isn't that a donkey talks. The heart of this story is that God blesses his people and keeps his covenant. He keeps his promises to the people of Israel. So let's talk through this story because it's pretty fun and pretty cool. Uh, and I love it. Now, where we see a couple things, God keeping his promises. Numbers 23, 19 is a great verse. This is in Balaam's second message out to the people of Israel. He says, God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? 
listen. I received a command to bless, and God is blessed. I can't reverse it. God keeps his promises. And what his promises are to Israel and to to these people is to bless them so they can bless others. That blessing takes place uh, in Genesis 12. This is this Abrahamic covenant. God speaking to Abram, who is actually coming from up in the area that Balaam is from. He's, he, God's speaking this blessing to Abram up there, and he will change his name to Abraham, and he'll come and then into this promised land region of the world. But it says, God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. God speaking to him, like, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you many descendants. I'm going to make you famous in this world. But it's not just for you. It's so that you will be a blessing to others. He says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. And ultimately we know all the families on earth are blessed through him because that is where Jesus eventually comes, through his line of descendants. And so that blessing, that blessing that was given to Abram there is forever. That is for the people of Israel. And that God will not go back on that. And so some of the the blessings that are spoken in this passage by Balaam are so cool. And they're amazing to read what this sorcerer priest would have God speak to him to speak to others. So I just want to read a couple of them. 24 verses 5 through 9. Balaam looks down over the people of Israel and he says, How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob. How lovely are your homes, O Israel. They spread before me like palm groves, like gardens by the riverside. They are like tall trees planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from their buckets. Their offspring have all they need. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt. For them, he is as strong as a wild ox. He devours all the nations that oppose him, breaking their bones in pieces, shooting them with arrows. Like a lion, Israel crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to arouse her. Blessed is everyone who blesses you, O Israel, and cursed is everyone who curses you. These are some of these words that Balaam is speaking out over these people when he's being hired to curse them. And then finally, just verses 17 and 19 say this. This is where it gets uh, prophetic as well. He says, I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the heads of Moab's people, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheth. Edom will be taken over, and Seir, its enemy, will be conquered. While Israel marches on in triumph, a ruler will rise in Jacob who will destroy the survivors of Ir. Now, this is kind of like multi-layered, as, as often prophecy is. There's sort of like a, a now and a future. So there's this now for them where they're coming into this land and they're being like opposed by others. And God is speaking of their victories they will have now through Balaam. And then, then like the next thing, it's actually speaking of David, this future king they will have that will lead them to victory. But ultimately speaking of Jesus 
when it talks about this Messiah, when it says a star will rise from Jacob. And Jesus, even in Revelation, is called a bright and morning star. And so God is speaking these blessings over the people of Israel in the midst of all of this stuff that God's blessing is unconditional. Okay? God's blessing is unconditional. Because what you have to understand what's going on, and I think this is really interesting, is that the people of Israel are down on that desert plain. And everything going on in the story with them is that they're complaining against God. They're complaining to God. They're complaining about all that God has done. They're whining about their situation. They're rebelling against God as we've looked at some of these stories of their rebellion. There's even a couple stories that we didn't even cover yet of like uh, Moses striking the rock instead of speaking to it when God told them that. Of the people are all being like bitten by snakes because they're rebelling against God and then God saves them. And like all this stuff's happening down on the desert floor And they have no idea that even while they're rebelling and complaining, up on the mountains, some pagan sorcerer priest from Mesopotamia is speaking blessings from God over them. That God's heart for them is to bless them, to protect them. Even though they're sinning, God's blessings are unconditional. Think about for your life, I mean, We are sinners. We stray. But God's heart for you remains. God's blessings of his salvation for you, his presence with you, his power with you, his spirit dwelling within you is for you. You have an assurance of that salvation that God will not take that away from you. God's blessing here for his people is unconditional. And I think it's just an amazing part of this story for me to understand how God cares for his people in this way and they have no idea. Honestly, we don't even know how they found out about this story to record it here for us, right? Like, it's so cool just that eventually they found out about this. I bet people were like, whoa, what? That was happening up there? That's amazing. It's amazing that God was caring for us in that way. Human beings will make promises and break them, but God doesn't. God keeps his promises. And I want you to know that and feel that in the depth of your heart today. God does make these promises, and guess what? God will accomplish them in whatever way he pleases. (laughs) That's part of what this story tells you as well. God makes promises, and he keeps them in weird and crazy and wacky and wild ways. In this story, and honestly, in some ways in our life today, we live in such a physical, dimensional realm, right? We just think so much about, like, the the natural world. And God is working in so many ways beyond that. Now, Psalm 115.3 even says this, Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. God does what God wants. God's going to do it in the way that he wants. And you might think that you can limit God to your understanding of God. But guess what? God then will open your eyes to things that you have no idea about. Because God just, God, God does what he wants. God works in all these crazy ways. I mean, think about this animal. This donkey that sees an angel, right? This donkey sees an angel and standing before him to kill him. First of all, the donkey sees the angel, all right? Now, second of all, the donkey moves out of the way to help the guy. 
third, the donkey talks, and they, say, they have a conversation together, Balaam and his donkey. And then the angel of the Lord, like if you didn't think, like if you thought a donkey was kind of crazy, also the angel of the Lord is standing there with a drawn sword. That's about a, a supernatural, spiritual dimension that you don't even think about ever probably or the vast majority of the time. This story also has a guy that apparently already had the ability to bless and curse people and it worked, right? It was effective in some way. He knows of this guy that has this, this ability. I don't, I don't understand that. Honestly, I, I can't really give you an understanding of that right now. But that was something happening in this time and in this story. And then God uses this pagan priest to speak the blessing of God. He meets with him. He speaks with him. He uh, tells him words to say. And then this guy speaks these beautiful words, not just a blessing, but of prophecy over the people of Israel. So this guy wasn't this like perfect Israelite. He wasn't an Israelite at all. He's not some perfect Christian doing all the right things. And then he's like able to be used by God. God worked in all of these wild ways in this one story. So what do I want you to hear? Don't limit God. Don't limit God. Whatever your understanding is through the scriptures of how God works, don't limit God. You aren't going to be able to manipulate God. Like even by like your good works, your righteous living, you're not going to manipulate God through that. Even with all the right words, even the words of in Jesus' name, you're not going to manipulate God to do your will through your actions and your words. God is going to work in the way that God chooses to work. Now, I want you to understand that, that this whole thing with a talking donkey, like you might have a hard time believing in a talking donkey, and I get that. But you might also have a hard time believing in a talking God. A God who is willing to speak to you. And that's even more of a problem. If you're not willing to believe in a God who speaks, don't limit God. God wants to work in your life. God wants to speak to you. God wants to call you out to something beyond what your eyes can see. You might only see the donkey going off the road. You might only see your path being blocked. Don't limit God. I think I should get an amen here, people. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to start asking for it again. Because I want you to get this. God does what he wants. Now, check this out. This, this donkey is also, he's, he's doing really what God ultimately wants. God doesn't really want Balaam doing this. God didn't really want Balaam going down there. That, he, he gave him a no. His answer was no. Balaam kind of pushes it, and then God permits it. Now God ends up using that. But what I want you to like, see here is we have this sort of thing of like an open door theology, right? Or like if there's an opportunity, I should take it kind of theology. I, I believe that God can open and close doors in our lives. But just because the door's open doesn't mean that there's not like a fire burning inside the room. Like don't, just because a door's open doesn't mean you should go in that room. Don't walk through every door that you have. God, like, God might permit you to do something, but that doesn't mean that's God's best or God's will or God's hope for you. God ultimately ending up using this because that's what God does. 
We like often have where, where people intended something for harm or intended something for evil, but God turned around and used it for good. That's what happens in Genesis 50 with, with Joseph. Not Joseph, Jesus' daddy, but Joseph, the Technicolor Dreamcoat guy, right? So that guy, that Joseph, his brothers threw him in a cistern into a pit. And then finally later on, he's like the second in command of all Egypt. And then he meets his brothers and he says this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. So often we might do something wrong or people might do something wrong, but God can turn that around and turn it into something good. And so I ask you, like, what are even the unique or unexpected ways that God has worked in your life? Think about that. Are there some unique or unexpected ways God has worked in you? I remember, I remember for me it was the summer after my senior year in high school, after I'd graduated from high school, and I went on this mission trip to Chicago. And uh, it was kind of like, for all you that have been on like our L.A. urban kind of trip, it was that through that same group, but in inner city Chicago. And we went to this wildly Pentecostal church. Wildly Pentecostal African-American church. Now, some of the theology of this church I wouldn't agree with, and even some of the methodology of this church I wouldn't necessarily agree with. And we're in this, like, evening prayer worship session there with them. We've been there all week kind of serving in different places, and we're at this thing, and it is crazy. I mean, it's the whole thing where the, the pastor's, like, getting people to line up, and he's coming down and doing the, like, hit them on the forehead, and they fall down. All that's happening, right? And I'm just like, what's going on here? And then he looks at me. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, bro, no, no, no. <laughs> like, kind of scared. And I'm like, I don't know, man. This stuff's like, I believe that God can do whatever he wants, but this is maybe too much for me. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of freaked out, and he looks at me, and he's like, come on. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And I remember, like, having to walk down the aisle and be like, yes. And he starts praying over me and starts praying this prophecy over me that I would become a pastor. And I'm like, no, dude, I'm going to UC Santa Barbara with a political science major. I'm not doing that. Like, I was nowhere on my radar to, to be involved in ministry. But he prays this prayer, and a year later, I was working in a church. And so, I don't know, man. Like, I'm just saying, God does what God wants. That was a unique and unexpected thing for me. And so there might even be stuff that you're not like, I don't know if I totally agree with all this. But, like, God does what God wants. All right? And God's going to work in wild ways. He's worked in some amazing ways throughout history, taking things that people intended for other reasons. Just on this last Israel trip, I was reminded of this whole thing called the Via Maris. The Via Maris is the way by the sea, and it's the whole thing of this road built by the Romans. And it's this road built by the Romans that connects like the spice route from the, from the east all the way up and then over, like north and over to where Rome is. And this road, the Via Maris, was like, was this tool of Rome for them to spread their empire. But then it ends up being 
a tool used by God to spread the gospel as the early church is going out and sharing it everywhere. And it was like able to have this whole network of things happening within the Roman Empire to change their empire into a kingdom of God around the world. And so God will use things that were not intended for him for his glory. Whether that's a donkey or a pagan sorcerer or a road or some church service where I was a little nervous about, right? And so like that's nothing compared to all those other things. So what about you? How has God worked in your life? Or maybe how have you beat your donkey? Because it feels like you're not willing to go where God is trying to take you. Don't oppose where God is trying to take you. Because our response, our right response can only be like Balaam's was. To do what God says to do and speak what God says to speak. Balaam had done some wrong things in there, obviously. You know, we're not all for the beating the donkey and we're not all for some of the other stuff he did. But he went to God and he asked, God, what should I say? What should I do? And then he did that. That's, that's the pattern, right? The pattern is go to God, ask him, Lord, what should I do? What should I say? And as he speaks, do it. Say it. That's what we're called to do. We don't manipulate God. We don't turn him uh, from, from like his way to our way. And so kind of like with Balaam here, okay, he is offered money. He is offered money by this guy to curse the people of Israel. And he's like, I can't, I can't do it. 24, 10 through 11 says this. King Balak flew into a rage against Balaam. He angrily clapped his hands, which I think is funny. I'm angrily clapping my hands. Uh, he angrily clapped his hands and shouted, I called you to curse my enemies. Instead, you blessed them three times. Now get out of here. Go back home. I promise to reward you richly, but the Lord has kept you from your reward. The Lord has kept you from your reward. And Balaam should have shouted a hearty amen. <laughs> amen. Because the rewards of this world are not worth going against the ways of God. Don't let others manipulate you into doing something that goes against the ways of God ever. Don't let money tempt you to stray from God's way. Don't let power tempt you to stray from God's way. Don't let fame or popularity or success or whatever other thing will tempt you and draw you away from God's, from doing what God has said to do and speaking what God has said to speak. That's all we can do. That's our only response. Our response is to be dependent on him and submissive to him to do his will and to do his way. So what are the blessings that God is determined to fulfill in your life as you follow him? God's blessings to his people of Israel are unconditional. And God's blessing to you of his salvation, his grace, his indwelling, his power indwelling you, his spirit dwelling within you, that is, that is there for you forever. But we are still called to do what he's called us to do and say what he's called us to say. But we can have a sense kind of like a breath out, right? Just an exhale of, okay, Lord, I'll trust you because you keep your promises. 
And that's part of why I, every single week, want to speak that blessing of God over you, over our church. That blessing from God that says, may the Lord bless you and keep you, which means protect you. For his face to shine on you and for him to give you his grace and his peace. Because I want you to remember that that's God's heart for you. It's so easy for us to forget. It's so easy for us to stray from that. But to remember that a God that in the midst of like a world too that has consequences. There are consequences for our sin. But God's heart for you is his blessing. He wants to bless you. And he will keep that blessing for you unconditionally. So let's pray and let's worship God in a way that's just like, yes, Lord, I believe in these promises. I believe in your blessings. And I want to live out of that. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for this crazy story. (laughs) Thank you that it forces us to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the way you work. And the way you work is whatever way you want, God. And so we say, okay, Lord, I'm in. I submit. I follow you, God. And I thank you, though, Lord, too, for the assurance that we have in you. In your promises, in your covenant to your people, to us, and your blessings as well, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.